Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gill here with Mike Renner in sunny Cincinnati. It's opening day. Home yes. opening day. I don't know how they frame it here. I'm not a big baseball guy, but it's it's the opening day for the Reds in their home stadium. Well, so it's opening day usually is or used to be. They were the very first game every year. Cincinnati Reds have been – they were like the first team, I believe. Mike Quinn can correct me if they were like the first MLB team. So they get opening day. They get before everyone else. They are the opening day. Truly like for the MLB. Really? It's like the whole – panache around why the whole city shuts down while i was walking up here today and like streets are closed for a parade and whatnot people are already out tailgating which got me the itch but i'm getting old now so there were times when you know i'd be i'd be like five or six million lights deep right now and probably still trying to do the pod but 30 31 about to turn 32 it's ship sales i thought you were already 32 no not already 32 i turned 32 day before the draft day before the draft turns 32 you're not five million lights deep no, I, two, I, was it a year ago? I was. But a year ago, it was in like middle of the summer was uh, opening day. So. Should we tell the Mastergators about what's coming with Miller Lite? Oh, yeah. We might be getting a little spots. Dude, Miller Lite, Quinn. I don't even know if we told Quinn this, but Miller Lite is interested and they're sending us some product. I don't know what product it will be. I think it could Just come Miller in some cans. I think it's going to be some cans, but if you have ideas for how we should pimp out this Miller, Miller light, I, my idea was I'll do a detonator in the studio mm. or shotgun. A, we shotgun on camp or something. I don't, we can't miss this opportunity. Not a quick shotgunner. I don't, I never don't finish. I'm not like that That's guy. That's such a beta thing to say. I'm just a, keeping it real. I will shotgun. I'm, but like, I'm not slow either. Like some people are good. Like I, my you brother, said, all you need to say. You don't my brother need to can do. It. My brother can like do the thing where you just pour a beer down his throat. I, that was weird that I said his throat, but pour a beer down your throat and it just like goes. I can't do that. I don't know how you even fucking. Start your brother's to do that. got a better throat and bigger hands. Yeah, I feel like he's he's definitely the crown jewel of the family. But we need ideas for Miller Lite. We need ideas for Miller Lite. What should we do? Like I don't. I'll get a Miller Lite tattoo. I don't know. I'll do whatever it takes. I will do whatever it takes. Huh. Um, I mean, I. If I were to get a tattoo, it probably would be Miller Lite, honestly. I love that. I love it's that. Um, I know you're looking to buzz here. That's why we moved the pot up here at 9.50 a.m. on Tuesday. You're looking to buzz on opening day. Other things on the catch and early buzz. Tom McShay stole your take. Huh? Call him out. Call him out. It's steal my take. It was a take that was had. But my God. Quinn, do we have this clip ready to roll? Because he talked about Jason Poe. We do have this clip. Jason Poe, the Mercer guard that he calls a slash fullback. And basically verbatim says what I said six months ago after we played Alabama. And I was like, holy shit, that was real like athleticism. That was real guard tape. Like this guy on the move is special. Like it's nothing short of that. He's probably the best on the move in the draft class at the guard position. But we talked about him on uh, yesterday's episode. He is six foot, 300 pounds with 30 inch arms. Like he is a weird 31 inch arm. Excuse me. He's a weird build for literally any offensive line position. You don't see offensive linemen that short most days. Like he, those are defensive linemen traditionally. So TBD on what he actually does. But let's listen to Todd McShay basically repeat all of my talking points. I, I love the nitty gritty of scouting, right? Like late in the late in the process, I'm getting ready to print my book, Kuiper, and I got a scout that calls and says you've got to watch. Jason Poe, remember, he's number 51 here. Look at that dude. Now, understand this, he's from Mercer College. He was an offensive lineman in Mercer. He's getting evaluated by NFL teams as a guard slash fullback. Yes, you heard me right. I didn't, I didn't mess up there. A guard slash fullback, why? Because he destroys dudes on poles. He might be the best pole blocker in this draft. He's 6'1", 
310 pounds. I want you to imagine my height. I'm 6'1". I was. I'm probably about six foot now. But my height and added about 110 pounds to my frame. And this guy's a, a bowling ball out there. Great body control, blowing up defenders in, in the tape. I watched two games of him and quickly put him in. He was the last name, the last report that I put in this book. I got the book right here. I'm all fired, fired up about Jason Poe. The book just came in today, and he's going to be in there. And when he gets drafted, you're not allowed to talk, Kuiper. Poe's my guy. That was sensational. I do think that uh, you were first to call him out. I don't think he like intentionally stole your take. No, no, no. Okay. I, so I was just I wanted, joking, yeah. but that's pretty cool. I wanted to address that. I was joking about that part, obviously. we I, I like to say we all get the same tape. Like, So if you have the same takes on a guy, it's because you're seeing the exact same stuff. You know, We all get to watch the same stuff. So it was just funny how similarly the enthusiasm and, and like verbiage matched yeah. of like how I felt I mean, about I, this guy after first watching him. Like you said, you get the same tape. There's only one take to have after you do that. Exactly. After you watch, after you watch him his... going around and, and blasting people. He said he was being evaluated as like a fullback center guard or whatever. Yeah. I, I'd love to see him at fullback. That'd be hilarious. That would be absolutely hilarious. Uh, other things on the Catch and Only Buzz here outside of Jason Poe, we had the interior offensive line podcast yesterday. We yes. said, oh man, we haven't seen Linderbaum test. You know, he's had an injury, whatever. He tested yesterday, like right after we recorded the podcast. Uh -huh. And these numbers are absolutely bananas. We said, it was like, oh man, if we, we, we got to see his three cone, it would be the best. His three cone, according to Iowa, is literally the best we've ever seen from a center prospect. It's yeah. like hundredth percentile. Seven point one four three. That's insane to me. That's insane to me, dude. He like went off, absolutely off uh, at, at his pro day, and to no one's surprise, right? I mean, we were talking a lot about how you know how insane it was. It was so he came at six foot two, three hundred two, four nine eight forty yard dash, which is ninety sixth percentile. 171 10-yard split, 93rd percentile. 7143 cone, fastest ever for a center. Obviously, that's at a pro day, whatever, 100th percentile. 438 pro agility or short shuttle, 97th percentile. 32 and a half inch vertical, 92nd percentile. 110 and a half inch broad. Um, what? 110, 110.5 broad, 93rd percentile. That is two and a half absolutely bananas. I've never actually seen broads reported to a half inch. That's what I'm saying. I don't know yeah. why not, though. If everything's being dissected to the core... It's actually pronounced dissected, but um, what is your problem today? You need a beer. <laughs> it's not pronounced. It's pronounced dissected. Yeah. No way. It is, is it really? Yeah. Go look it up. I'm but, looking it up. Um, elite pro day numbers. I, I mean, whether it's explosive, whether it's agility, it's like it matches the tape. And the thing that I loved that we haven't even said 302 pounds. He came in at, he was no spring chicken. Like he's no, uh, He's no undersized center anymore. And now he's still undersized. The frame still, like that still is on the smaller end. The frame is still limited in terms of the length he has, height. But, I mean, to do that at 302, he's center one. I've called him can't miss in a way, at least in the run, as a run blocker. And I stand by that. To me, if he really falls, like out of the first round, which some people have suggested, it's insane. I, I, I will I will not believe it until I see it. Is it pronounced dissected? Dissected. It's pronounced dissected. Dissected. That's the American pronunciation. You want the British pronunciation? Dissected. It's still dissected. You're dumb. Why don't you go kill yourself? It's D un upside down E sect. What are you talking about? I just Googled it. Look at the look at the pronunciation. D upside down E. This is what I see. D A I. That's what I see. If you Google dissected, dissected. I'm now I'm saying dissected. Dissected pronunciation is dissected. Dissected. You, you, are you saying you're better than Google? 
I'm saying that D upside down E is D. Well, you're wrong. That's, you hate to see it. You hate to see that that early to be wrong, but you hate to see it. Um, on to last piece of the catch and buzz. We talked a little bit about this yesterday, didn't we? Trayvon Walker, the buzz about him going number one overall. It hasn't been like heavily reflected in the betting markets, though. Right now, Aiden Hutchinson, according to DraftKings Sportsbook, I think is still minus 280 to be the number one overall pick. Trayvon Walker is plus 300. So not a lot of movement there. Um, but Schrager saying bulky could be considering Trayvon Walker. That's been a lot of the buzz this week. Yeah, I am not buying still whatsoever. It, it, to me, like, we're talking about, yes, Trayvon Walker is getting held up as this freaky athlete for the position. And he is. But it's not as if Aiden Hutchinson isn't a freaky athlete for the position either. He had the sixth best weight-adjusted three-cone ever. Ever. Like, three-cone's the position, the, the drill you want. You're going to turn the corner, you want a guy that can do that. It's the, literally, that's almost, that drill is almost identical to what you're doing as an edge rusher. And we have to stop calling it the L drill. I see people calling it the L drill every year at, during pro days, and that's just the worst thing to call it. It's three-cone. But... It's not as if like you there, you could value Aiden Hutchinson's testing numbers higher than you could value Trayvon Walker's testing numbers for the edge position. So to me, if you're going to then use his testing numbers, his athleticism as a reason to draft him over Aiden Hutchinson, I just massive all-time overthink if they do that. Can you react to this? Now we're talking about edge. We do our edge ranking, our edge defender rankings tomorrow. This is the interior defensive line podcast. But Chris Sims has come out with his edge rankings and Chris Sims, you, you said we get all, we all, all get the same tape. He has the most differing opinions of anyone every single year. His edge rankings, Aiden Hutchinson, Trayvon Walker, Jermaine Johnson, George Karloftis, Nick Benito. Kayvon Thibodeau is number seven. Oh. Not, he said in no world is Kayvon Thibodeau a top 20 pick. <laughs> that's, yeah. in, that's insane. He, every year, has that, those same tape. I mean, you go back to his cornerback rankings. Jalen Armour Davis is his number three cornerback in the class, and he's not even considered a top 100 player on PFF's board. Yeah. Well, it's, um, Chris Sims watches the tape. So. He has Kentucky's Josh Pascal ahead of Kayvon Thibodeau. Pascal's sick. I don't want to hear any Josh Pascal slander. We'll get to him on the edge. You'd Bye. put Pascal over Thibodeau? Um, no, but Pascal's sick. I'm just saying. Pascal's sick. Pascal's, know, a, Pascal's undervalued. He zigs as everyone's at. Might be a top 50 player. All said and done. Wow. All right. Well, that's it for the Catch Noly Buzz. On to the presenting sponsor of this podcast. It's not Miller Lite yet. Oxford English Dictionary says it should be pronounced like Miss. You've been Googling that the entire time. <laughs> I didn't listen you, to a word you said this whole time. You are a legitimate disaster. Google pronunciation to di dissect it and then play it through Google. Google's never been wrong. Oxford English Dictionary. The only true guaranteed quality pickup this season is PFF's presenting sponsor, Manscaped. The leaders in below the waist grooming. With Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, your skill position will be sleek and smooth enough for a sub 4340. Support us and head to manscaped.com and use the exclusive code PFF and check out 20, at checkout for 20% off at plus free shipping. Because of their ceramic blade and skin safe technology, your nicks and snags will be reduced in the season of trimming in the roster. Manscaped will make sure you're cutting the right players and not any important pieces of your D. Look, fellas, don't fall off her draft board. The ladies out there think that long nose hair is a major turnoff. The Weed Whacker nose and, air, nose and ear hair trimmer is your solution. Why not use the best tools for the job here? April is draft season, but it's also Testicular Cancer Awareness Month. Manscaped has partnered with the Testicular Cancer Society to bring awareness to testicular cancer, men's health, and early cancer detection. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and, manscaped and use code PFF. Turn your Mr. Irrelevant into a first-round pick 
with Manscaped. I'm glad I dissected that read. On to interior defensive line rankings. But before we do, we want to highlight Jordan Reed's seven-round mock. One, tip your cap to any analyst who ever does a seven-round mock. It's insane. Yes. It's – I mean, now, I didn't go through and really – dissect the seven round mock to see if the fits were all there but yeah i mean if you if you're going and trying to not double up at positions make sure every sort of round grade is fitting with your you know perceived draft board or perceived where a guy is going to go in the nfl draft you will drive yourself absolutely fucking insane by round three honestly so at some point you just say fuck it and, and stop trying to play gm for every team because i mean that's why they give every team 15 minutes is because they have to themselves balance round grade with where they're at, with what they need on their roster. And so when you're going through, if you're taking, you know, anything less than that, you're probably going to be bound to make some boneheaded mistakes and piss at least one fan base off. So tip the cap to Jordan Reed for even attempting such an endeavor. I will not be doing a seven round mock prior to the NFL draft. That is not something I have any interest in. And please do not make it. <laughs> we highlighted some of the picks here that we feel are either too low or too high based on how you view the or class. Or just takes. Yeah, just some takes on some of these picks. Go ahead and rip them off. Yeah, so first round, we've hammered home the first round. It's also a very chalky yeah. first round. Yeah. I didn't see you know, not a lot of like massive risks, right? Even at the back end here, like Jahan Dotson to the Chiefs is not all that crazy. N'Kobe Dean at 32 is something I've seen before. Kenyon Green at 27 of the Bucks I've seen a thousand times. So I'm not saying Jordan Reed, you know, didn't take any risks and isn't, you know, prioritizing certain things. I'm sorry, I still have my sound on from the dissected, Dissect. dissected dichotomy. But um, it's a chalky first round, but when you get into round two, round three, there's some more takes to be had. Yes. So my first take comes at 39, pick 39, Chicago Bears, Tyler Smith, the Tulsa offensive tackle. My take here is Tyler Smith's going to go in the first round. Tyler Smith's going to go in the first round. He has just turned 21 years old, and what really sold me on Tyler Smith is going back and watching his previous years because this year's tape, insane. And one thing I actually didn't realize until I was diving deeper is he committed 16 penalties this year too, 13 of which were holdings. He is a egregious, handsy player. Mm. We talk about some cornerbacks who, who use their hands a little too much. Tyler Smith... Uh, is going to be a penalty machine early on in his career if he doesn't get that figured out. But what sold me on him was actually his freshman tape. So get this. 100 run blocking tapes as a true freshman. Four big time blocks. If you extrapolate that out to a full season's worth, he would have been top five in the country in big time blocks as a true freshman at Tulsa if he had played a full season there. That is insane. The guy is just hashtag built different. And when a guy's just built different, especially the tackle position, they end up going the first round. You don't wait on those guys. So Especially a super young player, right? Exactly. Production. I think we've like, talked about him a, t- a little bit on this pod, but like you're buying into the trajectory for him, yeah. the tools. I, do, I, I agree with you that I think he's going to go it's, higher than 39. You know, Austin Jackson is a similarly um, athletic project. Young, like had, had similar sort of positives in his yeah. corner. If athletic project, young, athletic. I said athletic a bunch of times there. But sick. this, the sort of, prototypical traits for tackle position. He went 18th overall a couple years back. Tyler Smith's tape is a lot effing better than Austin Jackson's tape was at USC. I'll just say it right now. And he's a lot more freaky than Austin Jackson was as a prospect. So that's not always an apples to apples thing. And it's not always fair to say, oh, if this guy went 18th, this guy could go that high. Well, it's because, well, one team valued and obviously overvalued in Austin Jackson's case by drafting him that highly. Doesn't Two wrongs don't make a right here. But I'm just saying that NFL teams will see his tape and say, 
you know, you're going to pick 20, 24, 25, you know, in that, that mid-20s range, someone's going to pull the trigger on Tyler Smith. Other picks you have highlighted here in the 40s here, Baltimore Ravens grabbing Tariq Woolen, the UTSA cornerback, and then Chicago Bears getting an absolute steal. This is a dream scenario for the Bears. Is Jordan Reed a Bears fan? Yeah. It's time to ask the question. Tyler Smith of Tulsa falls to the Bears at 39, and then he has the Bears getting Sky Moore of Western Michigan, who I think could go in the top 40, top 32 picks in April's yeah. draft, the Western Michigan receiver. Bears get Smith at 39, Ravens get Woolen at 45, and then the Bears again, Sky Moore at 48. Yes, so Woolen's the one who... I'm just going to be very curious to see where he goes. You know, the UTSA corner, 4-2-6 was it at the combine? Absurd speed. And it's no just combine speed. It shows up on tape. And six foot three, insane wingspan, just tools for days. But he switched from wide receiver to cornerback because he had seven drops on 31 catchable passes. And midseason, the coaching staff's just like, fuck it. I, I can't take this anymore. You're switching to defense. You can't catch. So he's... Only playing quarterback a couple years, but I, I know the Ravens invest in the cornerback position like athletes. I mean, they drafted Brandon Stevens last year purely as an athletic projection, but that was pick 104. I, I don't see Tariq Woolen coming off the top 50 picks. I, I think this class is too good or too deep in like quality-ish players to take an athletic project that highly, like at that position. I, I think there are just, especially if you're even wanting a corner, I think there will be more polished products at that point in the draft but i do think sky Moore 48 and then 53 george pickens to the green bay packers which is a dream scenario because they got chris allowing in the first round of this mock would be obviously i would love that but i think both those guys go higher than those two spots yeah, seeing receivers fall that far is like huge benefit, again, to the Chicago Bears. Green Bay Packers coming out of this draft with Chris Olave and George Pickens is mm -hmm. a legitimate dream scenario for a receiving core that's on its way to being a bottom three unit in the NFL next year if they don't add some talent in this draft. Uh, 63, highlighting Jelani Woods, older tight end prospect, but crazy athletic, can work to, you know, everyone highlights him as like, you know, like guy who can work the seam, you know, run the vertical from the seam and, 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 and be that vertical stretcher at that spot. Not a great tight end yet, but at 63, the Cincinnati Bengals grab him. I think a lot of people want to mock a tight end to the Bengals, especially with C.J. Ozama mm -hmm. now playing for the New York Jets. And then at the end, with the Indianapolis Colts, our guy was on the podcast yesterday, Washington State, off of the tackle, Abraham Lucas. Everything I've heard, specifically from Doug Kide, who came out with his piece today about surprising first-rounders, is the league is a lot higher on Abraham Lucas. I think he goes well above 73. Yeah, that's. So I was going to highlight Lucas for that reason. Like, I, I don't think he's making it to where the Colts are there. I, I think he could be a top 50 pick in this year's draft. And then Jelani Woods, a fit that I guess I hadn't thought too much about, but that dude is C.J. Uzama. C.J. Uzama was 6'5", 262 coming out of Auburn and ran a 4.62 as pro day. Wow. Jelani Woods, 6'7", 260, ran a 4.61 at the combine. Like they, those are nearly identical athletic projects at that position. And Uzama... 435 receiving yards his entire college career. And now, Jelani Woods was an afterthought at Oklahoma State as a tight end until he transfers to Virginia and produced more. But, like, that's like, Uzama's trajectory and why he, how he ends up becoming good is why you draft athletes, even though he's a fifth-rounder, at that position because that's what it takes to develop and be a plus receiver at the NFL level. I, I like the fit of Woods going there far more than I like the fit of Drew Sample going there in the second round. I'll just say that. Isaiah likely goes to the Kansas City Chiefs at 103, and I hate to break it to you, but I don't think Isaiah He's likely is going that far. I think there's a chance he could go day, like late day three, if Six, not undrafted. Yeah. Came in at 238 pounds, which is lighter than what you want the tight end to be. And this is from his Coastal Carolina Pro Day, not even the combine, home turf. 
40-yard dash. His second attempt was a 4.85. cone. That's not good enough. Like, again, like flat out just like not good enough to be an undersized tight end already and then run in the 4.8s. There isn't a role for that tight end in the NFL anymore. And he's not even, you know, because a lot of that because of the size and how he was used at Coastal Carolina, he's not a plus blocker. Like, I mean, it's – you know, you compared him to Hunter Bryant, right? So when we were hired on mm-hmm. in the pre-draft process, then when you saw some of the testing, he ultimately goes undrafted at Washington. Yes. I see similar probably trajectory from Isaiah Lightfoot because what are you going to do with him? You know, that's just a man without a position at the NFL level, sadly. Uh, his probably best bet is to lose weight at this point. Don't even try to become a tight end. Try if you don't have the frame to do it, just try to become – an actual receiver get down to like 205 mm-hmm. you'll still be a big receiver at that point and then maybe you can run like the four sixes and you'll have a chance but it, it was the worry on tape because he while listed at 240 you could barely pick him out from the coastal carolina receiving core just based off of size you know he i would bet good money he was not playing at 240 last year for coastal carolina despite what he was listed at so that's the worry and 103 overall e- even if it'd be a cool fit in Kansas City, like a good fit for him. It's, I just don't think that's going to happen at this point. Other picks to highlight here. Big shout-out to Jordan Reed. Go check out the full article on ESPN.com. I was about to say PFF.com, ESPN.com. At 118, Cleveland Browns grab your guy, Brian Asamoa, Oklahoma, fallen far. I think one of my favorite linebackers falls to round four in this mock, too, Darian Beavers of Cincinnati. This mock draft, though, I think one mm-hmm. of my other takeaways is that you can get at these – you know, low value positions. And I say low value in terms of how much they're paid in the NFL on second and third contracts. So off ball linebacker, safety, interior defensive line, interior offensive line. There are starters to be had in picks 50 to 100 yeah. at those positions. At linebacker, interior defensive line, interior offensive line specifically, you can go and get starters. Darian Kennard, I think, falls to like the back end of the third in this draft. And I think he could start early on in his career. Prioritize. It really does, for me, push N'Kobe Dean and Devin Lloyd out of my consideration if I'm a first-round picking yeah. team, right? I'm looking more at, hey, I can go get – I'm not going to go get Devin Lloyd in round two or round three, but I can go get a starter at this position, a low-value position, uh, with, with how deep the class is at off-ball linebacker. But Brian Asamoah of the Browns at 118. I just don't see him falling that far. That's flat out. I, I would be floored if an athlete like him – and I think he's six foot two twenty six, but he has a bigger wingspan than Troy Anderson, who's 6'3", bigger wingspan than Leo Chanel, who's six two and a half. He has nearly identical wingspan to Quay Walker, who's 6'4". He's long, and that matters far more than pure height at the linebacker position. So, uh, four fives, four, four actually four 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 five six at his pro at uh, Exodus Combine. Four five six at the Combine, ten inch hands. Like he has physical tools and converted safety, I believe, who just like he can cover tight ends in his sleep. I I would be floored if a linebacker like that lasts two fourth round last few picks here and then we'll get to the interior defensive line rankings in the 2022 nfl draft rams at 211 grab your guy golden domer jack cone jaguars at 235 grab the tulsa receiver josh johnson and then at 255 the los angeles Chargers, adam anderson who has obviously fallen fast with the off-field allegations of sexual assault um but jack cone josh johnson adam anderson your takes so cone why do we insist on drafting these Notre Dame quarterbacks? I've watched them all. It's bias, dude. It's I d- obvious I, bias. I, it's someone has more bias towards Notre Dame than me, which is I didn't think possible. It's this league. <laughs> I, why are we? Jack Cohen got benched for a freshman last year at times. He has an arm that I don't want to hate too much on him, but like 
what do you what like what do you gain by drafting the Jack on? I I don't get the I didn't get what you're gaining by drafting. Uh, what's his face last year? Ian Book. I, I just I don't understand, but I guess he could go in the sixth seventh round. Uh, Josh Johnson though the Tulsa wide receiver. Jaguars, I think I've come around on my day three wide receivers. There's three guys who I think could go day three that I want. It's Kyle Phillips from UCLA. It's Josh Johnson from Tulsa. And it's Danny Gray from SMU. Gray's a little more vertical. Johnson, some route running ability. And Kyle Phillips, probably the best, like a pure slot wide receiver. Those are three you want. After that, I'm not sure any of the guys day three I'm going to really want to draft. And then the guy that no one really wants to talk about for obvious reasons. Adam Anderson, the Georgia Edge. Going to the Chargers, I just want to bring him up because I'm very curious to see where he goes. If you obviously don't know, he was a top 30 player on the PFS draft board all throughout the fall. It was charged with rape in an ongoing case still that just yesterday had a motion to dismiss denied. So I believe that will be going to court. So just I, I don't think now he puts him in the draft here. I don't think if that's still going on, NFL team drafts him. But I obviously don't know all the details of this case. Don't I'm not going to speak on any of that. But just I will be curious to see what how NFL teams treat him as a prospect because it's not a it's 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 a unique situation that like the talent's there, but we obviously don't have enough details about this case. Teams are going to have to do more diligence, have more resource to do so than I. But that guy is actually innocent, is acquitted, whatever. That's that's the talent in this edge class that honestly would be probably a top five edge on PFS board. Yeah, I mean, totally understand the reasoning, right? Why Adam Anderson's one, not being discussed at all in this yes. class and also not being even remotely considered and even the top 250 picks, right? Mm -hmm. But I guess, you know, it will be a profile that teams are looking at and obviously evaluating the situation as we progress forward. That was fun, man. You got to do a seven rounder. Should we do one live all night the night before the draft? Wednesday, it starts at 12 a.m. And we go, 12 Quinn, you're in. I know Quinn's in. He yeah. loves being in the studio at 12 a.m. And he, he knows that if he doesn't get any sleep the night before we do the 41 hours of draft show coverage, that he'll be feeling so good going into yeah. the first round. So I, I do think that there are a lot of wins there. So I'll make sure we get that on the calendar. Defensive tackle rankings. I sure. love, I love that we have the same tier one. I wasn't sure if you were going to include Travis Jones. I wasn't sure. I thought Travis Jones was going to be like your top of tier two because you like hate on UConn and you don't think it's a good school and you never think he's going to mount to any success. So our tier one's exactly the same. Devontae Wyatt, program. Jordan Davis, Travis Jones, I see it the same exact way. I think Davis is a lot closer to Wyatt than I originally thought, especially, you know, with just like, I mean, you have to factor in the tools. Like he is a legitimate one of one yeah. human being. Uh, Davis is a lot closer to Wyatt than I originally thought, but I have the same tier one. It's Wyatt, Davis, and Jones. I think all those guys should be first round players. Ooh, should be first-round players. Interesting. Willing to go out there. I, I, I tend to agree. And part of that is because now I have a Tier 2 listed here. But realistically, this is one of the bigger gaps between Tier 1 and Tier 2 at any position we've done this. I, what position was it where I didn't even put a Tier 2 in? Was, was it running, running back? back? It was yeah. running back. So running back is probably the biggest gap between Tier 1 and Tier 2. This is probably the second biggest gap of any position group between tier one and tier what two. What I'll add to that, and I know I'm cutting you off, but like what I'll add to that is that, and I know we'll talk about him more, that's so disappointing in my opinion for two players, Logan Hall and DeMarvin Leal, who I think both those guys have opportunity or had opportunity mm -hmm. to like enter the tier one conversation through the opportunity, you know, Logan Hall had an opportunity at the senior bowl. We didn't see him pop up there. DeMarvin Leal has been moved around up and down that Texas A&M defensive line. We haven't seen him be able to progress at that position. I get that there's a 
gap, but I also don't think like Logan Hall and Demarvin Leal. I think a lot of that's situational. I, 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 you know, maybe not for Hall. Hall just has not lived up to the billing of what he could be, and mm-hmm. Leal I think is similar but more situational. So concerning there, I agree with it, but I don't think Hall and Leal are are far off if they get with the right coaching and are put in the right situation. Yeah. So uh, tier one, I have it stacked. Devontae Wyatt one, and now with the caveat, he is twenty four years old. He's on the older end, but you're also kind of buying into his peak with his rookie deal. Now, sometimes you want to make longer-term decisions, and if that's obviously the case, you're going to look elsewhere. But um, I, I think he's still good enough at that age to warrant DT1 distinction. He was the highest-graded pass rusher of anyone at the Senior Bowl, including Jermaine Johnson, who got all the hype after that week. Devontae Wyatt was as good, if not better. The grade said better. So, freak athlete, four seven seven forty. Get off agility, it's all there, and he's not undersized. I mean, he's 307 pounds, he can play nose tackle in a pinch. Like, obviously, he's not going to be his three tech is the ideal role. Getting him in a penetrating role is probably where you're going to want him in your defense, and that's something he flat out wasn't able to do in Georgia's scheme. Which we keep talking about this Georgia scheme, it's like, why weren't they doing a little bit? Why weren't they letting these guys go to work a little bit more? I think they could have created even more havoc if they let them, but. Devontae Wyatt, there's reason to believe he could be a better NFL player than he even was a college player. So, DT1 for me. Jordan Davis, DT2. He's sure thing against the run, in my opinion. I think he can be a bull rusher, pocket pusher, if you just line him up as like a zero, really give him a simplistic role. But the thing that keeps going back to, workload, the games where he played over 35 snaps last year, three of them, only three of them, 66-point overall grade against Kentucky. 65.8 65.8 overall grade against Tennessee, 59.7 overall grade against Alabama. Were that big, and now he lost weight to go to the combine. And I would like him to, if I were you know an NFL team, I'd like him to keep losing weight. Truthfully, like 341, if you're going to invest the pick, you're going to invest in him. You want him to be like a Kenny Clark at nose tackle, where that guy's not really coming off the football field, or if it is, it's not because of you know because he can't stay on the football field sort of things because he's, but. I just worry about that ever being the case with him, ever having the stamina to play a full workload um, and to be like a real true impact pass rusher. But yeah, the first step is real. Him and run defense, very real. And the Travis Jones is kind of the all-around guy in this draft class. He, he's nose tackle size, three technique athleticism, and played three technique at Connecticut. I, I think he can be anything he's the most versatile defensive tackle in this draft class he can be any alignment and still produce he can two gap he can one gap he can rush the passer he can be a run defender would not surprise me when it's all said and done if this is the best defense tackle in this draft class so that's why they're all t-run players despite like those other guys getting more hype for their athleticism jordan travis jones excuse me is a elite athlete in his own right we, I said it, we were watching the combine together when Jordan Davis had his day and Devontae White had his day on the combine. No one was going to talk about Travis Jones, but his testing was also very good. And I think it's important, too, that you look at athletic testing. I think what's, get, what's got lost more in this class than other classes is there has been some freaky athletes. Like, yeah. Trayvon Walker, 451, takes it to like a whole other level. Jordan Davis, what he did at his size, another level. Yeah. But I do think that from an evaluation perspective, at least how I look at it more, is you want to enter this tier of elite athleticism. Mm-hmm. There is a tier that helps, you know, changes your yeah. projection of outcomes in the NFL. Mm-hmm. It's not, oh man, if Trayvon Walker ran a four five zero, he's a better prospect. It's like, no, he just yes. entered this tier yeah. of rare 
elite athleticism, along with you know Travis Jones, along with yeah. Jordan Davis, along with these other guys. Um, so I do think you you have. Yeah, a I mean, look at like the top testers for any position in any specific drill, and there's no real correlation between that test. They were like just like being that yes. freaky in one thing, you know, like John Ross, for example. There's really no correlation in just being that outlier freak mm -hmm. compared to guys who are just 95th, you're 90 plus yes. percentile. They really, once you enter the 90 percentile at something, it's all gravy. So exactly. Speak. You want to enter that tier of like 85, 90th plus percentile athlete at these things. That's why with Tyler Linderbaum, fastest three cone ever for a center. It's not like if he ran a, the second yeah. fastest, we'd be like, oh man, Linderbaum's yeah. toast. It's more like, hey, he entered that tier of athleticism with an exclamation point. So did Trayvon Walker, so did Jordan Davis and all that stuff. Tier two, Logan Hall, Houston, DeMarvin Leal, Texas A&M and Perion Winfrey, who I think of all those guys, in terms of play style, I like Winfrey the most. Okay. Winfrey plays like a bat out of hell, high-energy player. You saw that at the senior ball. You see that in his mm -hmm. Oklahoma tape. I'm buying into his like genuine like passion and genuine enthusiasm on the field. I like I like Winfrey in this tier as well. I think I see it very similar. I have Leal ahead of Logan Hall, yeah. but I think, I think Winfrey is still like a really, really talented player. Yeah, so Tier 1 for me is all first-rounders. Tier 2 is... I don't think I'm taking any of these guys before the third round. This is mid-third round type of guys, in my opinion. So Logan Hall played three technique at Houston, has been playing three technique since he was like 260 pounds at Houston. Still produced very well. Now, I mentioned Dylan Parham locked him down, was not great at the Senior Bowl. Those are two concerning things, especially when you're projecting the next level. And at the competition level, he was playing when he's dominating, you know, his highest graded pass rushing games last year came against Navy and East Carolina, which – you know, not producing a lot of NFL offensive linemen from either of those two schools. So I, I do like the traits. He is tall. He is quick off the ball. He has a great swim move, but that's really his only pass rushing move that he got a lot of play out of last year. So this tier is kind of all guys who have the athletic ability to get there aren't there yet. So that's how I feel about Logan Hall. That's how I feel to a degree about DeMarvin Leal. Pierre and Winfrey is the interesting one. We've obviously hammered home Leal a bunch over the course of the draft season um, and his sort of profile. But Pierre and Winfrey is the interesting one because he really is a unique length get-off sort of prospect. He has over 35-inch arms at 6'3", 290. So he's undersized but incredibly long. And then he ran... A 48940 with a 17110 split. So he has get off, massive wingspan, 84 and three quarter inch wingspan, getting close to uh, the Falale wingspan right there. It was just over 85 inches. So for a guy who's only 6'3 to have that big of a wingspan is a unique, like I said, a unique build. Two years at community college, two years at Oklahoma. I, on tape, gets washed out so easily, but he's also playing nose tackle a lot on tape. He's playing a weird role for a guy with his skill set. So I think if you're projecting in this tier of what a guy could be, you know, quote-unquote upside, he probably has the most. But I, I just I do worry about that play strength concerns with him and whatever, if he can ever even play the run at the NFL level. Tier three, Fedarian Mathis, the big boy. Uh, this is your big boy tier. Mm -hmm. Big, big boy tier, at least with the first two. Fedarian Mathis, run stuffing, defensive tackle out of Alabama. Neil Farrell Jr., very similar role for LSU. And then Matthew Butler, Tennessee, who went a lot higher in Jordan Reed's mock draft than I expected. I think he was a top 70 pick 
in in Jordan Reed's mock draft, the Tennessee defensive tackle Matthew Butler. Yeah, so this is the kind of tier of guys who are solid, solid, not spectacular. I'll say tier. You're gonna you're gonna play these guys at the NFL level. You may never get super excited about these guys at the NFL level, but they can fill a role for you. Fair Mathis is your two gapping, versatile defensive tackle. Can play like five tech, four tech. He can play head up over tackles. He can play head up over guards. But his best skill is his ability to gap, and that has a lot of value actually in today's NFL. A lot of teams are looking for that with lighter boxes. You know, run first D lines, uh, getting their cover, getting their safeties out of run fits, getting that guy who you can rely on. So it wouldn't surprise me if Federer Mathis does go higher than this tier three where I haven't valued him. Neil Farrell's probably the best pure nose tackle after the tier one in this draft class. Um, he graded out really well this past season for LSU. Has a little bit of quicks for a nose tackle off the ball, even if his testing numbers were you know, kind of shit, to be honest. But short arms, limited in what he's going to bring to the table, but you can rely on him at the nose tackle position. Then Matthew Butler's more of a three technique coming out of Tennessee. Good get off, good hand usage, already pretty developed as a pass rusher, but just not a super high-end athlete, not a ton of reps to get excited about on his tape, what he put there. So, and not super strong. Did either. you see the Neil Farrell short shuttle and three count? Were they disastrous? Neil Farrell's short shuttle was 505. <laughs> And his three cone was eight four one. Yeah, nose tackle athleticism sometimes is like hilarious. Can be hilarious it, with only thirty two and a quarter inch arms too, which I think is a concern for his <laughs> for, for what he's trying to do. I obviously had good production at LSU, but five four one forty yard dash, one eight six ten yard split, twenty one and a half inch vert. It's it's low 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 percentile athlete, and it's why I like too like with Farrell. You're not if you're drafting him, you are drafting him to do one thing, and you're yeah. also not drafting him highly because he's never going to be yes. the pass rusher you're looking for at the defense tackle position. Tier four, you have a lot of names here. Is this your meh tier? This is just shit out of wall tier kind of. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're hoping for a guy that can even see the field, and, and that's kind of how rough this DT class is. We got nine guys I think could be starters in a DT class. So that like obviously all the guys will end up being starters probably at some point, but nine guys that you feel fairly confident in becoming starters. The one guy that I, I can't seem to understand how he hasn't gotten more hype though is Curtis Brooks from Cincinnati. He is a legitimate high-end athlete for the defense acquisition. Oh, I was about to say we were at, the, at their pro day, but I was at the Cincinnati Pro Day. You didn't get to see him, but standing next to this guy, 6'2", 287. He's built. Like He is pretty rocked up for 287. L very low body fat for that size. And then testing-wise, goes 4'9", the 40, 35 and a half inch vertical, 9'5", broad jump, 7'4", three cone, and 33 bench press reps. Damn. And he had a 33 bench press reps? He had a 90.4 pass rushing grade last year, too. Now, his only year as a starter was this past season. As a full-time starter this past season. 43 pressures at the defense tackle position this past year on 304 pass rushing snaps. Like, he produced. I I don't really get why he hasn't gotten more love. DT10 here on PFF's board. But to me, he's the top of tier four of guys when it gets to the, you know, day three that I'm going to take a chance on. The other guy that I'm really going to take a chance on, and maybe I probably should have made this into a tier four and a tier five, is Ioma Uwazirike, the Iowa State defensive tackle who is – 
insane build for a defensive tackle. 6'6", 316, 35 and an eighth inch arms. Same 84 and three quarters inch wingspan as Perrion Winfrey. He's going to be 24 years old by the time the season starts. He is not particularly explosive, I'll say. 5'3", 240, 182, 10 yard split, but he can actually like move for a defensive tackle that size. And probably with that length gives you a lot of leeway especially for the nose tackle position. So I think this guy can be a head-up nose um, or one-tech in the defense at, you know, fifth-round value. So those are the guys that start to intrigue me into day three. The other names there that I would throw in the mix, Eric Johnson from Missouri State, Kalia Davis from UCF, Thomas Booker from Stanford, Otito Obonia from UCLA, John Ridgeway from Arkansas, Jaden Peavy from Texas A&M, and then Noah Ellis from Idaho. I guess Matt's here. They're day three picks. You're not super excited about any of them, but that's probably the end of the DT class of guys I'd really want on the roster. I, I wanted to add you know, one more piece on Curtis Brooks, the Cincinnati defensive tackle you highlight. Six foot two, yeah. 287, redshirt senior, not a lot of playing experience. Like Cincinnati does not get enough credit, and they've gotten some, but mm-hmm. not enough credit for how they develop talent. Yeah, This guy was a two-star with FCS attention, before you know, Fickle and company get involved there, and Cincinnati gets involved, and Fickle gets a lot of the love, right, for what he's developed. He's turned Ahmad Garner into a really good talent. Brian Cooks is mm-hmm. an athletic player. Myjay Sanders. Uh, they, they have Alec Pierce. Like they find Desmond Ritter. They find ways to like legitimately add and develop talent there. The man I'm going to shout out is their strength and conditioning coach, Brady Collins. Brady Collins has like completely flipped frames for some of these kids, right? I don't know if you remember Derek Forrest, the safety coming out of Cincinnati, but when he showed up, he was like 125 pounds soaking wet and mm-hmm. turned him into one of the more rocked up safeties coming out of that draft a year ago or two years ago. I, I think Cincinnati is onto something with Fickle and how they're developing players and steroids. building the culture. Not steroids, get out of here. But I also think their strength and conditioning coach, Brady Collins, is in his absolute bag with turning two-star, three-star players into freaky, freaky athletes, like guys that yeah. test really, really well compared to NFL talents. I, I don't think that's – I don't think it's coincidence, right? It's not that they're just finding guys, you know, in the rough, right? I think it's more that they are developing these guys and building bodies, building frames that are NFL competitive, like legitimately yeah. NFL competitive. Plus, as Joe Burrow says, there's nothing to do in Cincinnati, so – Plus, there's nothing to do in Cincinnati except for well celebrate on. opening day today. Everyone. I do actually feel that way about, you know, like North Coast State, Northern Iowa, the programs that are like out there in terms of small cities. Sometimes it's like, it's not much to do. You find small folk, you might as well get after it. But that also then attracts when you're not like a lower, lower, lowly, highly rated recruit. You're probably going to college to just focus on football. So it's kind of like a twofold thing, but still. I don't know where you're going with that. I don't know. South that Bend just... is also a small town. <laughs> South Bend, there's a lot to do. There's well, a lot, lot to do. What is there, what's the top thing to do in South Bend? Uh, it used to be go to Fever, Club Fever in downtown. That was a massive nightclub. That was awful, awful place to go. Oh, now sounds sick. Know, you're really selling me. It's not, uh, South Bend actually stinks out loud. It was a horrible campus setup, I'll be honest. Delete the tweet, baby. We are on to the delete the tweet segment here. Possibly the dumbest anonymous scout Oh, yeah. So one of these was yeah. just like a because we were talking about the DT class. Mm-hmm. I had to bring this up. This was if you don't read. Oh, gosh, I didn't put his name here. And I'm blanking on his name. Who's the Packers Journal Sentinel guy who always has the anonymous scout quotes? I have no idea. Fuck. I can't remember his name. But used to be on Journal Sentinel. 
he always has the anonymous scout quotes. He has good connections with that and always puts them out every year. But this one still sticks out to me as one of the absolute dumbest ones. And this was when Vernon Butler was coming out. So we're talking about the DT class here. Vernon Butler was the DT coming out of Louisiana Tech who ended up being first rounder for the Panthers. And the scout said he wore a single digit jersey, number nine, that really made him stand out in terms of his movement skills. Stop. That's a real quote? Yeah. That was insane. That oh. one was that one was special. So that one is a quote that needs to get deleted. Someone but never needs to talk to that person again. My my delete the tweet though was oh, since we're talking about DTs. Finally, finally. Finally biggest, we get to bring this up. Biggest whiff at the DT class now. Maybe not. Maybe this is the breakout year. Year four. That was always what I was planning for, is year four with him. But Jerry Tillery, I said underrated performance from this weekend was Notre Dame DT Jerry Tillery. One six nine ten split, seven four five three cone, four three three shuttle. All superb movement skills for a six foot six, two hundred ninety five pounds. I'd say, or I'd draft him top ten. Hmm. Hmm. Now, in my defense, I don't think he's been that much worse than like Ed Oliver's gone top ten. Ed Oliver's not been that great either. There are busts that go top ten, but Derek Tiller was not top ten. He's, yeah, he's not been good. He's been asked. He still, might, still to this day, the most insane interview I've ever done. He's played a lot of snaps, though. You want to, you want to expand on why it was an insane interview? So it was a. Uh, so one, there's a lot of delete tweets from me about Jerry Tillery as well because I'm hyping him up because I went into this interview. And if you look from PFF Austin Gale on Twitter and find my interview, I'm also in like this absolutely vile striped shirt with a beard that. Most Schrute would be jealous of. Did I just whistle on accident? Oh, yeah, dude. You used to rock a rough beard. It was gross, dude. I, it's not, I'm, again, I don't make a lot of good decisions from a facial hair and hair, top of hair perspective, but it was one of the worst. Yeah. And the interview with Jerry Tilly, the biggest, the weirdest thing was honestly, he was just like so nervous. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I've ever interviewed any player ever more nervous than Jerry Tillery. And he was, Nervous that I was going to bring up his off-field interests. He was nervous I was going to bring up his injury, that he was working through a shoulder surgery, and, like, like quivering at some of these questions. And some of that was just, like, led to awkwardness, right? Because I've talked to so many – I'm not sounding like, sound like an asshole, but I've talked to a lot of players, and 0% of the time are they nervous, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I mean, I'm nobody. You know what I mean? You're not talking to, like, an NFL player or an NFL team or a scout or anything. But his, his how nervous he was really did um, – you know, it impacted his interview with me and it was still like to this day like a, a, like really weird the other thing too is so if you look on that interview there's like a whiteboard behind us with like random like football scratch on it like so it's like in notre dame's facility we wrote all of that <laughs> we like drew up all the random stuff big shout out to uh tyler sobchik who was with me to that trip to south bend <laughs> And he's like, just draw some random stuff on that whiteboard. Um, go back and watch that interview. It's a, it's a wild one, man. It's a wild one. But, yeah, delete the tweet, Jerry Tillery. Shall we close the podcast out here with the general pro generational prospect ballot bracket? I think this one could be quick. This one stinks. It's the tight it's, end position. It's, it's awful. I mean, because there hasn't been – I mean, yeah, go ahead. So, yeah, we know where this is going. But the – just to go list year by year. 2015, our tight end one was Max Williams. That was not a great tight end class. 2016, Hunter Henry, 33rd overall on the PFF board. 2017, O.J. Howard was 18th overall on the PFF board. 2018, Dallas Goddard, 21st overall. Right side of history on that one. That was a call. T.J. Hawkinson, 2019, also 21st overall. I'd say right side of history on that. He was not worth the 8th overall pick. 2020, Hunter Bryant, 79th overall. That one six, That was an ass 
tight end class. So I hate that he like ended up tight end one and has not been good in the NFL, but name someone who has been good in the NFL from that class. Uh, Cal Pitts may have been tight end one last year, fifth overall on the PFF board. And then Trey McBride, 64th overall on the PFF board this season. Your tight end one. Let's dig in, shall we? Max Williams versus Trey McBride. I did not love Max Williams. This was, yeah, I honestly think Trey McBride's probably the better prospect. We was more the difference on the PFF board now is more just valuation of the position. He had that one hurdle in like a bowl game. But Max Williams was not particularly athletic. He was more of inline guy who can catch. So I'm going to lean Trey McBride. I'm leaning Trey McBride as well. Hunter Henry versus Kyle Pitts. Hate that it had to happen in the first round because I did love Hunter Henry coming out of Arkansas, but. You're not beating Cal Pitts. All right, O.J. Howard versus Hunter Bryant. Again, <laughs> Hunter Bryant's not winning that matchup. We're just not going <laughs> to really debate that one. Oh. And this one's kind of a heavyweight matchup, though. Dallas Goddard, T.J. Hawkinson, both 21st on the PFF draft board. So I lean, really I lean Hawk. I was a huge Hawkinson fan. Now, I, I did not like where he ultimately got drafted. That was way too rich. Yeah. And considering positional value and just like what I even thought his ceiling impact would be in the mm-hmm. NFL. I did not like the, where he was picked, but I did like him a lot as a prospect. I'd lean him over Goddard. Yes, I, I agree. Uh, I do think the blocking aspect probably tips the scales as receivers. I, I think they were similar. I, I don't think there was a massive difference. And I think that's also why we were floored that he went eighth overall is because like as a receiver, there wasn't people were like, Oh, we could be George Kittle. It's like, well, George Kittle ran a four five three. And TJ Hawkinson ran a four seven or like four six eight. What are we doing here? So I'm gonna lean TJ Hawkinson though still in that matchup. Second round, Trey McBride versus TJ Hawkinson. I like Trey McBride. I do. TJ Hawkinson still the better prospect yeah. there. Um TJ Hawkinson, the other thing was like he was young coming out, twenty one or something, I believe. He was a redshirt sophomore. So Cal Pitts versus OJ Howard, not a debate. Still not a debate. Cal Pitts versus TJ Hawkinson. It's that was the easiest position quite by far so far that one was when you put it on the schedule here i was like okay it's just gonna be kyle pitts we had to do it we had to do it but what's next position next position i think we have uh quarterback left still i was gonna leave that till the end and then let me look through leave that one to the end just to name lawrence it i believe edge is our other one so we got edge will be young we got joey bosa garrett we got miles garrett we got a I think Garrett's going to be winning that one. We'll see. We'll see as we continue to press forward. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Also, a friendly reminder that Hutch, four-episode podcast series with Aiden Hutchinson, drops tomorrow, Wednesday, April 13th. And you can use promo code DRAFT50 for 50% off any, no, not any, the elite annual subscription here at PFF. Until next time, we're going to celebrate Red's opening day. Austin Gill, Mike Renner, tailgate.